We solemnly swear we're up to no good. Hi, I'm Gary Roby. I'm Victoria Laguna. And we're the hosts of Harry Potter Minute, the fan podcast where we overanalyze the Harry Potter movies one magical minute at a time. Join us as we argue about whether or not McGonagall would meow at Dumbledore. She wouldn't. As we ponder just how much Harry's fortune is worth. Just $40. As we guess how much mileage one gets out of an Ollivander wand. 100,000 jinxes. As we detail the ins and outs of Hogwarts Castle. It's only a model. Join us Monday through Friday, only from DuelingGenre.com. Mischief Managed. Dueling Genre. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character in a great story. I'm Joe Dorowski. And I'm Todd Mack. And this week, we're discussing more of a concept than a character. We're going to be talking about fan fiction. And this discussion is going to be inspired by a patron request from patron Toshin. And we would like to thank uh, Toshin for their request. However, we ran into a bit of a problem. Uh, in in trying to carry out this particular request. So, Toshin, if you can get back in touch with us, you get to make another pick. Uh, Toshin asked us to look at a series of fan fiction written by Jim Robert Bader, who is very well known in the fan fiction community. And he went by uh, the pseudonym Shadowmane in his in his fan fiction writing. And just even poking around some fan fiction websites, I was able to see that He's a known name in the fan fiction circles. Um, and Toshin had asked us to look at um, Altered Destinies, which is a series of Ranma one-half works of fan fiction. Now, Ranma one-half is a fairly long-running manga series in Japan. And so Jim Robert Bader, uh, as a fan fiction writer, took the existing characters from Ranma one-half and wrote some of his own stories in kind of uh, – we'll get into – a lot more of what fanfic is and how, how it does. But he, he took some characters in different directions. He um, explored different relationships with these characters. However, uh, there are two main issues that uh, we seem to run into. One is I'm going to read this from uh, this is just coming from the Wikipedia article about fan fiction. And it says most fan fiction writers assume that their work is read primarily by other fans and therefore presume that their readers have working knowledge of the canon universe created by a professional writer in which their works are based. And without any grounding in the original manga, when we tried to engage with um, some of Bader's writing, it, it was hard for us to get into it because we, we, we didn't have some of the grounding that's necessary. And I don't mean that as a knock at all at Bader's work. Like just fan fiction is operating with a different set of parameters than a lot of other writing. Todd, were you going to say something about that? I was just going to say it, it wasn't for lack of trying. <laughs> like, we were both <laughs> willing to engage this, but it became really clear pretty early on that this was going to be a, an even bigger challenge than, than just like picking up a big novel and reading it. Um, because mm-hmm. there's, you basically need to read like, two <laughs> right <laughs> you, you need to engage the whole first thing in order to have the kind of background knowledge that you would need to make the second thing uh matter like it it seems like it should right well, and, which and, the entire premise of fan fiction is that because of your familiarity with the original text this new text has um different meanings and without that original text it, it's hard to get that launching point 
Okay. And Rama yeah. one half is I'm I'm looking up. Uh, it, it was it ran from it looks like as a manga from eighty seven to ninety uh, six and has thirty eight volumes, which is quite a few. <laughs> Uh, to just try and get that grounding. And then the other issue, which we ran into, and this is something we're going to talk about with fan fiction in general, there are sometimes, um, just say, iffy relationships between the copyright holder of the original material and the works produced as fan fiction. And the website where we were trying to read the fan fiction has been taken down. <laughs> it's, it's, or well, at least, it's, it's down. It's, it's down it's right down. now. It's completely yeah. inaccessible. Right as now. of as of the moment that we are recording this, <laughs> inaccessible. Yes. <laughs> so even if we were going to be able to engage with the original material or um, summaries of the original material enough to get some of that grounding, we can't seem to access the fan fiction at the moment. But we want to take this chance because of this patron request to talk about this genre of writing that we've never engaged with on uh, the protagonist podcast before, and that is fan fiction in general. And I had never really engaged with the fanfiction world. I knew it existed out there. And in doing some research to um, understand it even better, I have realized this is a rabbit hole that you can just disappear down. There is so much, uh, not just in terms of fanfiction that has been produced for every property you can imagine, it seems, <laughs> as I started to look into this. But yeah. there's so much commentary and discussion about it. And there's all these differing reactions to the production of fan fiction. There's the differing reactions from the copyright holders. Um, there's differing debates about the artistic merit of fan fiction. And so it was, it was just interesting to try and even get a handle on this uh, before really engaging with um, Bader's writing, which again, um, our inability to access uh, or, or to find a good grip on, on Bader's um, writing. I don't think that's a knock on his writing. It's just the nature of fan fiction is without that original source material. You, you can be a little bit lost. Yeah. Uh, um, I was just, I was just remembering. Um, I was actually on an episode of the Phantom podcast. Uh, it's episode 94 fanfic deathmatch, um, where we, where we sort of pitched um, ideas of for fanfics. And there's another episode of the Phantom podcast where they talk about, uh, fanfics in general, and it's really, really good. Um, and uh, done by people who know a lot more about fanfic than than we do. <laughs> so, um, I would recommend that if anybody's interested in in this, uh, then we can point them that way as well. And I guess in a way, we've occasionally engaged in like mini fanfiction. Um, I was thinking uh, when we did our uh, our loose adaptation special pitch episode, oh, yeah. elevator pitch episode, uh, where yeah. we took existing works and we we ended up with things like uh, Huckleberry Finn and, and Jim uh, in space, right? Yeah. Rogue star marshals. Yes. <laughs> is that, is that where we landed on that one for the title? <laughs> Except it was always just called Huck and Jim in space. Like, I think we settled like no one's ever going to call it something other than Huck and Jim in space, yeah. but it was supposed to be about rogue star marshals. <laughs> uh, so, so in some ways we've like throw throwing ideas out, not um, in any way to the effort and uh, the writing level that someone like Jim Bader, um, who Toshin had access to engage with uh, ha- has done in producing massive uh, fan fictions. Um, Toshin had given us two uh, of the fan fictions that Bader wrote. And one of them was, it had, I want to say, was it over a hundred chapters? I can't remember now yeah. <laughs> at the moment. Um, and that's, I mean, we'll, we'll, I think we're going to talk a lot about this. I mean, that's legitimate writing that's taking place. Like he's writing a novel, um, right. Using the, these characters and putting them into a new story. Now, fan fiction 
I guess we should be upfront. Uh, it, it can sometimes exist in this kind of legal gray area. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, because uh, the original characters are often uh, copyrighted. And depending on how strict um, the copyright holders are, um, websites can be shut down. Depending, uh, It seems from looking around, the biggest issue is when people attempt to monetize the fan fiction. That's what we'll immediately get. <laughs> Mm-hmm. some some no no notices from lawyers um as if you try and sell uh fan fiction but it just simply existing out there that is kind of this gray area and i i would say a producer andrew is going to be jumping in a lot um for this episode i'd say in that regard particularly fan fiction seems to be very different from fan art like graphic art and, and visual art because that is widely monetized at conventions and, and i mean yeah if you if you look at just about any given modern artist, you will find fan art. I mean, I mean, I, I don't want to just like diminish it by calling it fan art in case anyone feels like that's a diminishing um, statement. But it's art of characters they did not create, and at conventions they are selling prints of these of these pieces of art, and that money's not going back to copyright holders. That's interesting. Yeah. I, um, and um, I was gonna say, oh, go go ahead, Dad. I've talked a lot. Well, I was so. just gonna say yeah. so. I, I think if you uh, there's a, there's an easy way to look at fanfic and and um, and see an an artist uh, trying to defend their work and saying no I don't want you doing this thing and to say oh come on you're just such a curmudgeon and we're just having fun and there's really nothing to this um, George R R Martin is one of the stronger uh, opponents of fanfic and he's written. Um, I don't want to say extensively, but I mean, he's, he's written about why he is not a fan of this and maybe his most compelling point is that, um, the idea of copyright is based on the idea of defense, which means if you never defend your copyright, uh, and then a precedent is set for you not having defended your copyright, then your copyright becomes null, which means if there's a thousand fanfics about your characters And then somebody writes a story and decides to try to publish it uh, and make money off of it. And it goes to court. Then you could lose the court battle because the judge could say a thousand people uh, ripped off your, your character and you never did anything about it, which means your copyright has become uh, null. And so that's why he's like, no, I will never not defend my copyright because I'm never going to let anybody uh, put me in that situation, which I mean, I'm not a lawyer, uh, but it seems like a, a, a valid point. Yeah, and I think that's particularly where um, monetization becomes the real issue. If anyone is ever making money on it, that's when it can be harder to defend and claim yeah. the copyright. Yeah. And um, again, there's in just poking around, you see different creators that um, are fine with it. Um, J.K. Rowling is... Um, seems to not <laughs> um, be too concerned about the massive amount of Harry Potter fan fiction that exists <laughs> out there. Um, even if- I, I think she's one of the ones that um, likes to engage with it and, and comment on it. Um, I, I have heard even things as, as I mean, I don't know if this is a separate discussion point going from like head canon and your own imagination and that being expressed as a, a blog post versus full on fan fiction. But I know she's engaged with things that people want to have as kind of this head canon. And she said, well, no, that's not what happens. Yeah. 
Um, and, and, you know, like, frankly, she's in control of these characters, so she gets to decide. Um, and that doesn't diminish anyone's headcanon for, you know, what they want to imagine if there isn't a fully fleshed out story that contradicts their headcanon. And, and, you know, this is a complex emotional issue for fans that want to develop their headcanon um, or their fan fiction and then who want to have fidelity to the author's vision. You know, it, it becomes a kind of complicated uh, issue for those fans and the ones that are engaging with each other outside of engaging with the author. Um, so I know J.K. Rowling in- engages with these sorts of things and says, oh, this is like, you know, people have said this as as a headcanon about, um, you know, year, years later uh, when Dudley and Harry have grown up, Dudley has a daughter and she's a witch. And J.K. Rowling says, like, well, no, that doesn't happen. <laughs> D- Dudley's kids are muggles. Sorry. And it's like, well, she gets to say because it's her stuff. Yeah. Um, but there's a lot of people I know who like that idea. Mm hmm. Um, but she engaged with it. She she commented on it. She thought about it or, or you know, addressed it in the context of what she had already uh, set forth in her mind because the world exists in her mind. And it's what she chooses to share with with the readers. Um, that's what we have. Um, so it, it's an interesting process for for creators to start to engage with it, because now she's just shut that down. As far as canon goes, but fan but that doesn't writers people, can still do it. Yeah, yeah. It's like what what does that mean to someone who just wants to write that story anyway? Um, this is just glancing at um, Wikipedia has a page on fan fiction and it has a section on the legality of it and different author reactions <laughs> to this, and it mentions that. I bet, I bet that's a big page. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's not as big, not as, big as you'd think. Uh, well, I guess there is a separate article entirely called "Legal Issues with Fan Fiction." This is a sub <laughs> of the page on fan fiction, but there is a separate page I could go to, but um, it mentions JK Rowling has said she was flattered that people wanted to write their own stories based on her fictional characters. And it mentions that Stephanie Meyer has put links on her website to fan fiction about characters from the twilight series. Famously uh, 50 shades of grade uh, began as a twilight fan fiction using characters from twilight. And then the author renamed everyone <laughs> and, and tweaked it and took out the vampire and uh, published it as 50 shades Made of money. Grey. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, monetized it once they got yeah. rid of all the copyright issues. Um, and they give the example of Orson Scott Card, who's best known for the Ender's Game series. It it says that he once put on his website, and since this is on his website, it had to be in the 90s or 2000s, right? But he said, to write fiction using my characters is morally identical to moving into my house without invitation and throwing out my family. However, he has changed his mind completely, and he assists in fan fiction contests and has said, <laughs> every piece of fan fiction is an ad for my book. What kind of an idiot would I be to want to make that disappear? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> so there's an evolution and, within one person on the issue of fan fiction. And and neither of those perspectives make me feel especially good. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, like those aren't my favorite stances on it. And like, I mean, I guess they're both valid, yeah. but it's, it's not uh, engaging with fan fiction as a work of art at all. Other than I guess him saying he's assisted with fan fiction contests at that point, he may be engaging with it as, mm-hmm. um, you know, a legitimate, form of creative expression. I think, uh, I think one thing that's interesting, this is an interesting emotional issue here. Often writers uh, will talk about characters like they're real people. <laughs> um, and uh, I mean, I've I, like, uh, I've interviewed writer uh, writers in Spain. There's a, um, 
a writer named Jaume Cabaret. I've mentioned him before. And he talks about his characters as if they're real people. I mean, he'll say, you know, I was sitting there one day and then this character came to me and she said, this is my story. And, uh, and, uh, and so I wrote the story or I initially thought of this character for a, a story about, uh, 17th century, 18th century Barcelona. And the character just kept telling me, this is not my story. This is not my story. And then eventually um, I said, okay, fine. I'll just uh, like, I'll leave you out of this story because obviously you don't want to be here. And so, uh, you know, 20 years later, he's writing a a story about 1930s um, in the Pyrenees. And this story comes back and says, this is my, the, the character comes back and says, this is my story. And so i you know, write her into the story, but they talk about characters as if they have agency. It's, um, it's a Pirandello's, um, was it six characters in search of an author? Um, yeah, but they're like, they're real. <laughs> they, they <laughs> of them as if they are real people. And if you listen, uh, like if you read Martin's stuff uh, about fanfic, he's like, these are real people. And, um, like, no, I'm not going to allow you to rape my, my uh my characters because only i get to do that right like i get to decide what happens to these people and if i'm going to create misery for them it's going to be me and i'm not going to let you just sort of run roughshod over these people who in my mind are real people i have no children of my own these are my children and uh it's like wow it's an, an intensely emotional argument for this but then on the other side you have all of these fans who I think many would argue that those characters are just as real for them as they are for the author, and uh, and in their ima- and live in their imagination in not identical way, but but an emotionally uh, powerful way, just like they do for the author. And I, I just think it's fascinating. <laughs> in the end, they're just words on a page, right? <laughs> like, um, yeah. guess what? Like, uh, newsflash: uh, Dudley Dursley doesn't have any kids because. Dudley Dursley is not real. Right? <laughs> he doesn't exist. He doesn't exist. He doesn't exist anywhere. And for J.K. Rowling to say, uh, no, uh, that's not, you know, that's not how it really happened. It's like, no, none of this is how it really happened. It didn't really happen, right? Um, and we say, like, the world exists well, okay. inside of her head. Well, well, a version of this world exists inside of her head. But this world doesn't really exist anywhere because it doesn't exist. I mean, that's, that's um, one argument. Yeah. yeah I, I, and I'm curious, all Todd, over the place for this. I'm curious, Todd, and I want uh, I want to bring Joseph into this one because Todd, I don't know how much you have um, worked on producing any any fiction for yourself. I know Joseph has a couple of at least partial or or more or less full manuscripts at this point. Yes, and um, and I've got you know some stories that have bounced around in my head, and your description of like a character like walking in fully formed. I, I I was writing on a train one time and all of a sudden I started writing down all these notes and like I just suddenly like I just discovered this person in my head and I knew all these things about this character it, they weren't like talking to me it wasn't like a conversation but all of a sudden I just knew all this stuff about this character that I wanted to put in a story and so I like I'm empathizing a lot with that description <laughs> that you gave yeah where all of a sudden like I knew all these details it's like oh well well this is I I suddenly know about this character and uh, here's what she looks like and her mom smokes and her parents are divorced. And here's all this stuff about her grandparents. And all of a sudden I had like her best friends. And why is she walking through the the street in the autumn and like thinking about the way the wind moves through the leaves? Like, where's all this coming from? And I would be really upset if somebody tried to tell me about that character. I'm like, no, you don't know this character. Right. You know, if, if anyone tried to tell me anything about this character, 
even if I had, you know, put this all into writing and, and shared it with people, if somebody told me, it's like, well, this, this character does this. I'm like, you don't know this character. <laughs> <laughs> this, this, this character came, you know, from inside something, you know, something inside me. And to be told, you know, that they do something, I can totally understand JK Rowling answer is like, well, no, that's not how it goes, but you don't know that because I haven't like written that part. Right. But I, I know, you know, the expanse of this character's entire world and existence because it came from me. There's a <laughs> and so Joseph, I want your take on it. Yeah. And I want Joseph's take because I know Joseph's written, written characters and, and put them onto a page. And I haven't done that. I haven't <laughs> done, you know, the writing process, but I have these characters forming in my head. And so Joseph, what's it like in comparison when you have these characters in your head and then you have to put it into writing and you, you still know that there's infinitely, I, I assume that you have a similar experience where there's infinitely more than you could ever write to describe this character. Yeah. Like I have, I have information about some of my characters that there's no reason for it to ever appear on the page, but it informs my understanding of what decisions they make and how they react to things. Um, even if, there's like it would be awkward to even try and work at some of that information into into the prose um, or into the storyline. However, I do have to say that I kind of ride a weird middle line in my attitude towards all of this because I've got multiple projects I've worked on. I have one full manuscript and several that are uh, partially done uh, on various fiction projects, and um, some of these are completely original. But then, like one fiction project that I'm working on is called canon high and it's a murder mystery set at a boarding school that is populated entirely by characters from <laughs> existing <laughs> works public domain works <laughs> so <laughs> so i mean oh we didn't even get into like fan fiction in the public domain versus yes, the, and that's the what, copyrighted where, domain yeah, some of the legal legal issues um you know are, like i'm deliberately no character it that exists in canon high would be from you know anything that still is um copyrighted it would all be public domain so you have um you know lady macbeth ha- hanging out um with with uh uh miss havisham <laughs> from you know from diggins <laughs> you know th- things like that are going on uh and you know you got coach ahab for the football team uh <laughs> he's just he's really focused on their rival that they have him for a while i was gonna say coach ahab seems really relentless oh he is so focused on beating their rival <laughs> It's amazing. Um, so all of that is, I mean, it's a form of fan fiction. Like I'm trying to do something completely original sure. with these characters. But, uh, in that one, none of the characters that I use are original. And so well, I don't know what that says. And, and like even in in the terms of what fan faction, fiction is and how it gets produced and how literary is it and, you know, how creative is this? What do we do with like every um, director who puts their own spin on Shakespeare? You know, right. at what point is that? a form of fan fiction, even if they're using the original yeah, text, but they're, they're updating it. Uh, and, um, or even like, um, is, I mean, Tom Stoppard is one of our, you know, recent playwrights who's like immediately in the canon, right? Where everyone says, Oh, Tom Stoppard, you, you you're there. You're going to be taught forever in colleges. And one of his most famous works is Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. Is that a fan fiction of Shakespeare in a way? <laughs> You know, um, and and if so, what makes that one literary and uh, part of the literary canon versus all these other fan fictions? Is it just because the characters were in public domain, so there's no legal questions about it? And obviously, Tom Stoppard is writing at a very elevated level. <laughs> He's, he is a quality writer. So I have a scenario wait, wait, that I want. No, to I wanted get... to get Todd's reaction to that. <laughs> like I wasn't just oh, throwing okay. that out into the ether. 
um, I think that the the idea of public domain, I think, is important. And I mean, if you, it doesn't matter how great your <laughs> your prose is, if you're ripping off something that somebody else is working on today or somebody alive is has worked on and mm-hmm. then i think that's very different than if you're riffing off of shakespeare um but so then we also get into the issue that public domain keeps stuff that should be in public domain or originally would have been in public right. domain isn't because the date keeps getting pushed back by disney lawyers lobbying congress <laughs> <laughs> one of the interesting um, cases that that martin puts up is um edgar rice burroughs versus um hp lovecraft and how mm-hmm. Burroughs was notorious for his lawyers, and they were just ruthless and relentless in pursuing any anything that looked even close to John Carter or Tarzan um, was shut down. And and he died an extremely wealthy man <laughs> in a <laughs> in some giant mansion somewhere. And Lovecraft, um, who uh, came up with the idea of the Cthulhu. Um, mm-hmm. And he was like sharing his idea with everybody and people would uh, do kind of their own versions of it. And he thought that was really great. And he died like in total poverty. And um, some people think that maybe he died because uh, because of malnutrition, because he was so poor that he couldn't eat. And uh, and Martin's like, <laughs> you know, call me whatever mercenary, but I'm not going to die like H.P. Lovecraft. <laughs> I'm not yeah. like I'm not going <laughs> to let it happen. Um so anyway, it's just an interesting um, kind of look at two different people. Um, and they're, I mean, th- those are pretty extreme examples probably. Uh, this, uh, this idea of characters being like coming to you, um, Andrew, you had asked if I had written anything. I want, <laughs> like inside of me, there is this, um, there's this thing that wants to write. And um and then I have like the voice in my head that shouts down that voice that wants to write is so strong <laughs> that anytime I sit down to write something, I just say that is the dumbest thing that anybody's ever thought. And then I, <laughs> and I delete it. <laughs> I just, my, well, Tom, int- I, I think that from my understanding, that means you are ready to be a writer. <laughs> yeah. My, your, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my internal critic is so strong that it has not really allowed for anything to, um, to flourish. But, uh, but I think I, I have hope that uh, that one of these days it's going to happen. I was so close to doing NaNoWriMo this year, uh, and I had some ideas, and I was uh, like jotting them down. And then I thought, this is not the year to do NaNoWriMo, but uh, but maybe next year. And I know there are a lot of people that do that, but um, uh, but I think it'll happen. But I will tell you that I have never had like the muses just come and speak in my ear, like. Um, you know, like you said about this character that just came to you, that never, ever happens to me. And I know that the day that I sit down to write a story, it is going to be work. Like from from start to finish, uh, I just, I'm not, um, I, 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 don't, I don't see myself as having that in me. It, I never have. It's been 36 years now. I can't imagine that they'll just show up tonight. Who knows? Just call Calliope, see? <laughs> See if she comes. Uh, just uh, go go ride some trains, Todd. <laughs> I've ridden on a lot of trains. <laughs> and, uh, just sit sit in the uh, sit in the uh, the club car and and jot down notes on a menu. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, it's I think it's a beautiful idea, and I'm fascinated by this idea of um, characters 
and uh, and like characters with agency and like Stranger Than Fiction and um, Unamuno's Niebla and uh, like self-aware characters. Or the, I the I mean, one of the first to do that was the six characters in search of an author. Uh-huh. Right? Yeah, Perinello's play is like astounding. I mean, it's so cool. Uh, but um, but yeah, I, I, I don't see myself as that man. What's that? We should do six characters in search, in search of an author. It's so, so good. good. <laughs> it's so, so good. We should do Nia. I've never seen a performance of it. Oh, I, I want to see it performed. I've only read it. Yeah, I, I have never seen it performed either. Now, I mean, just talking about fan fiction and a lot of it does get lost into the gray area of these uh, of the legal issues. But would you agree that there is sometimes this kind of uh, like the the tiered system that people have of assumptions of quality and people would assume fan fiction is a lower quality, right? The Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, generally. I, mean, um, I think people then, think if you could do which, it, which is if you do the real thing, then you would just do the real thing and create your own characters. If you mm-hmm. feel like you have to borrow somebody else's characters, then your writing must be subpar and i think uh there are certainly cases where that's true and i know that there are cases where that is not true and that there are really top-notch writers who are writing fanfic because it's what they wanted to yeah it gives them joy it's creative outlet that that that, uh that is um you know that's how the muse is speaking to them but then i think it's also interesting going back to that um like rosencrantz and gildenstern are dead that is considered like part of the canon already um of literature and in a way I, I think that is not removed, you know, not terribly removed from fan fiction. He's taking these existing characters from Hamlet and writing the play from their point of view and layering in all this really fascinating postmodern commentary. Sure. Um, and again, Stoppard was already quite established as a writer when he did this. Um, but I think that's evidence that, like you said, there can be top notch writers who are producing fan fiction. Uh, and maybe they'll never be read the way like Stoppard's Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead can be produced and everything because there's no legal issues because it's Shakespeare. <laughs> you know, Shakespeare mm-hmm. characters, 100% public domain, no problems there. Um, whereas um, for existing properties, uh, there are often those copyright things, which means the fan fiction exists solely on fan fiction websites uh, and can't be monetized and can't be sold and can't be discovered the way uh, a lot of traditional works are discovered. Yeah, I mean, it, can I go ahead? I I just want to say, like, if anyone's listening and and you're a fan fiction writer, like, I I urge you to try out your own stuff and and try to get involved in the production in in whatever way you can, even if it's the production of the stuff that you're writing fan fiction about. Like, be involved in the production of this media because it's worth it, and we need people to be working on this media who care about it. So if you care about a piece of media, no, try shows. to get involved yeah. with it. Well, yeah, TV, comics. I mean, I mean, comic book writers. Every comic book writer is writing fan fiction <laughs> with these characters that were created years and years and right. years ago. I was, I was about to bring this one up, it, um, or, or at least that's part of their yeah. their goal. And a lot of them are getting jobs because they're pitching a, a little piece of fan fiction. I will. Just, I wanted to say, uh, like, I don't know what what is the uh, the effect when you become aware of something and you suddenly see it everywhere. Uh, I call it yeah, the Scarlet phenomenon. Like. <laughs> <laughs> I think it, it's. I think that one's Bottermeinhof. Okay, the Bottermeinhof phenomenon. Um, since I've been thinking about this, I saw it in the last week. Two comic book writers get into an argument about what is fanfic <laughs> and what is not. Or I mean, it wasn't an argument; it was just a debate where one said essentially all comic book writers working for a major publisher are writing fan fiction, and the other one said, "No, no, 
Um, he's like, I don't want to denigrate fan fiction, but there's a very different thing from work for hire from the copyright holder who asks you to produce this work. Um, and it goes through editors and everything versus fan fiction, um, who is someone who's just a fan of the thing and produces this for themselves and then the community of fans. Uh, I actually have some very related, uh, questions in regards to like that idea of, of work for hire and sanction. And then they specifically said more or less fan fiction. Well, then they also said, and there's also a difference between writing a spec script for say a TV show that you want to work on. uh, And so you write your own episode of that TV show and it through your agent, it gets to the producers. Right. And he said, there's a difference between that and just writing fan fiction, TV scripts and putting that online. Uh, And, I don't, I mean, this is all gray areas. <laughs> I don't know exactly yeah, how to delineate these. This is a really big gray area. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, I was gonna, um, I think, I mean, there's, there's so many different reasons to write fan fiction. Um, and one, and maybe the, I, I mean, I, I'm sure that there are a lot of writers that have done this that are now published and doing their own thing. Um, but I think a lot of people do it just to practice. Cause, yeah. because they're like me and they, they are not great at thinking up these amazing characters on their own. And so they say, I've got this sandbox of all these characters that are already fully formed. And I wonder what I can do with them. Uh, and that's like even Cabaret himself, this, this author who the, the characters come to him and they speak to him and they write themselves into his things. He started by writing fanfic for himself. Just when he was a kid, he didn't know that it was called fanfic and he never published it anywhere. But when he was a little boy, he would read a book and he would be so excited about the about the characters and the story that when it ended, he was like, that cannot be the end. And so he would just get out (laughs) pen and paper and he would just keep writing the story and he would try to use the author's voice and try to write sequels to his favorite books just because like what else is a little kid growing up in Barcelona supposed to do? And then eventually, I think he started saying, yeah, I bet I could just do this on my own. And uh, and I think there are probably a lot of uh, authors who are in that same boat that do this as a way to practice. And now that we have the internet and people can share these things and get feedback, it's it makes so much sense that, that fanfic exists. Um, and the fact that there's all these legal issues surrounding it makes it kind of like, oh, I don't know how I feel about this right now. Uh, but as an act, just purely as a, as a creative exercise, I think there's like tremendous value in it as an exercise. I, so Todd, that reminds me um, something that I think is like really worth pointing out. Just about everyone has, I mean, not universally everyone in the entire world, but <laughs> uh, uh a, a vast majority, I'm sure, of the people who are listening to this podcast and, and you know, people in uh, the Western world have experience with fan fiction. It's called action figures right. and toys. <laughs> and, you know, like like every every uh, kid that has set up a tea party with some dolls has engaged with fan fiction. Oh, yeah. My son. Like everyone has everyone has experience with this. Yeah. Because we've all had toys that we made up a story and. You know, if you if you grab a Batman action figure, you make up a Batman story, and and guess what? That's just your fan fiction on Batman, and you had this character. I mean, it's different. And you get to start doing your crossover fan fictions where Batman oh, yeah. is meeting up with the Stormtroopers. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, like, I mean, it's not like people don't have this experience. Like, everyone knows what this is like because you've played on the playground, right? And you said, "I'm this character," and someone said, "Well, I'm this character," and it's like. 
okay, but they're not, they're not from the same thing and it doesn't matter. <laughs> and you just, and you play and you, and you create this stuff. Like you're, you are creating fan fiction. Everyone's, everyone's done this. And it's interesting that it starts like your example, you know, someone writing it as a kid, like, well, I ran out of story. So I wanted to make more story with these characters. It's like, it's what every kid with star Wars action figures was doing. And like, well, I'm out of star Wars, but I've got these action figures. So I'm going to play yeah. side note and I'm going to make up stuff. And, and then at some point, Somebody else started making up the stories, and it was official. And that was a an interesting <laughs> relationship. I just want to say, uh, as a side note, there's a new Netflix series called "The Toys That Made Us," and the first episode is on Star Wars toys. It's a documentary about action figures and toys. All the right. first episode was on Star Wars. Second one was on Barbie. But I just watched the Star Wars one, and it is a fascinating history of Star Wars toys. I recommend that series. Anyway, <laughs> what were you going to say, Todd? I can't remember. Oh, okay. But I think well, I think that me... Andrew's point is really uh, solid, and and it's. I, I mean, I just go back to this point. It's so easy to to say, well, fan fiction is just people writing down those imaginary play stories, but man, once you start posting it and sharing it, and there's uh, potential for notoriety, and, and then it, it becomes really sticky. It's different. Yeah, it's different, and. Um, I mean, I, I, when I read, uh, Martin writing about his, his, like this deeply emotional response that he has, uh, to reading, uh, fanfic or to the idea of fanfic, it, um, it like really, it really resonates with me even while on the other side, I can, I can totally see how people are saying this is totally harmless and it's great. And I don't understand why everybody's so up in arms about this. I'm not trying to make any money. I'm just a guy or a, a girl and I'm, you know, trying to have fun. I'm I will like say uh, action figures. So something that stood out to me. Well, I guess first, uh, when, or, or if you were to guess what franchise is often credited with starting fan fiction, anyone have a guess? Is it Star Trek? Yeah, right? I know it's, it's it Star is, Trek. Star Trek is generally credited um, with starting this. Uh, and uh, this is quoting from Wikipedia again. So I guess a uh, grain of salt, but <laughs> it says, <laughs> um, unlike other aspects of fandom, women dominated fan fiction authoring 83% of Star Trek fan fiction authors were female by 1970 and 90% were female in by 1973. Um, and one scholar stated, I'll have to go look at the link and see who this is, but it, that, that fan fiction fills the need of a mostly female audience for fictional narratives that expand the boundary of the official source products offered on the television and movie screen, because so often those source products are from a male point of view. Um, and so uh, you said like um, he or she or whoever's doing the fan fiction. Um, so I found that about the the Star Trek fan fiction uh, in the in the late sixties and seventies was dominated by female writers. Right. But then um, the largest fan fiction website is called fanfiction.net. and it said uh, I was looking at this uh, as part of its history. Um, it says. Um, Registration was open to all people who claimed to be over 18. I like how they put that there. Claimed to be over 18. Uh, and it says, uh, by 2002, over 118,000 people were registered. And at that time, one third of the registrants um, or, or, or were, uh, I'm sorry, they, they moved down the, the age limit and said one third of the registra- registrants were 18 or younger um, once they lowered the age thing. But then 80% of the registrants were female. Hmm. So it does seem like there is definitely really interesting. a female driven aspect to the creation of a lot of fan fiction. Um, and I 
would not be surprised if some of that is barriers to traditional publishing and storytelling that uh-huh. have yeah. historically favored men. I, 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 I was going to say, does does the uh, the current state of fan fiction, like the current um, like prolific and and widespread nature of fan fiction, owe itself to like old school misogyny? Yeah, publishing and production. Uh, of television and filmmaking and production where it is over our, our publication, which is overwhelmingly uh, dominated by, by male uh, creators. I, okay. So I've got a couple of, um, of things I want to bring up and, and I want your takes on because I think for both of you, you don't engage a lot with um, manga and anime and, and those things. So I have some examples and I want to get your reactions to it and how you think it fits into the fan fiction. I don't know. Okay. Uh, the, the gray areas. All right. Hit us with uh, some real world examples here. Okay. In anime that are adapted from manga, um, you have this manga that's, that's coming out, you know, regularly long running and all, and all of this stuff. And if they want to adapt it into an anime, they want to adapt it while it's popular. Right? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I would assume. Unfortunately, they are often able to produce anime faster, faster than manga. <laughs> and it catches up. Well, isn't this what's happening to uh, Game of Thrones on HBO right now? Yeah. So, so Game of Thrones is, uh, I mean, it's a little different and I'll get into that. So what, what often happens when an anime catches up to a manga is they go into filler arcs. They're called filler arcs mm. and they are literally arcs of story that can't matter because you need everyone back when the manga has gotten far enough ahead that they can do another arc of the real story. So it's not going to affect the continuity of any characters. No one's going to lose an eye. No one's going to die. No relationship is going to be irrevocably altered. Right. But they have the rights to, you know, make this and people are watching. So they keep making these filler arcs so that the manga can get ahead and then they can catch up again with the, the like creator's original story because the manga creator is just working on the manga and they might be consulting on the anime, but they're not going to be involved as heavily because manga creators are, are have a crazy work schedule and often they're, you know, producing on a weekly schedule but This gets back to and just this working gets, like crazy. This is what gets back to the point that we talked about earlier about the difference between like pure fanfic and, and sanctioned. Yeah. Sanctioned. Yeah. Something that's uh, uh, contracted work. Which seems like what? Yeah, and so in this case, an entire, you know, an entire team for for an anime studio is now engaged in producing this sanctioned fan fiction that um, doesn't affect the, that. I mean, it's strictly canonical, but it doesn't affect the origin story. I mean, in some ways, it, it kind of reminds me, and I mean, this is not the same thing at all. But it reminds me of when there's a TV show that has its original creative team. And then because they get burned out or whatever reason they leave. But then when the show's finally going to wrap up, they come back in and they close up all the characters. Right. <laughs> they, uh-huh. uh, and, and they may be unhappy with choices that are made in the interim. So when they come back, the, a lot of things quickly get reset <laughs> to to where they had maybe envisioned it going. But because they were gone, it went in a different direction. But all of that is, you know, the official canon of those things. I don't know. I mean, we were, and also when we're talking about adaptations, which one's the, the you know, the core text. Is. Yeah. Um, it, it's just entering into different gray zones, I guess, than just mm-hmm. the fan fiction gray zone. Well, and another thing that happens sometimes is because these are wildly popular um, franchises, they will sometimes make a movie. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's typically like it can't fit anywhere into the narrative. 
because then it would be part of the show. So you have these, these, you know, completely chronologically removed, you know, narratives in these films. How does that fit in? Like, how, how am I supposed to feel about this movie? It's like, well, it features the characters and I guess technically it is sanctioned. And, you know, the creator might've had input on this, but it doesn't fit into like the narrative. It's just this is a fun little story with these characters. Like that is is where it really feels like fan fiction to me. But it, I mean, but it is but the officially sanctioned. sanctioned. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's still sanctioned. But it's not even it's not even canon because well, I, well, then this it's, gets it's into not part what, of the narrative. What are you considering the like what is the original text that you care about as yeah. a fan? Is it the anime or is it the manga? Right, <laughs> and, and so that may be a difference too because I'm sure there are people who I, I engage the with the anime uh, but don't read the manga, and for them. It's all valid if you're mm-hmm. uh, if the only story is the core story told in the manga and then the adaptations. Well, I mean, any of the adaptations then at that point becomes secondary to the manga itself. Right. That's an adaptation. I have a couple of examples here. So um, Star Trek, the mm-hmm. uh, like the original series and Next Generation and uh, all of the films. I've seen some of all of that stuff and it's fine. I, it's not my favorite thing in the world, but I don't like it just sort of exists for me. Um, and then uh, they re- did the reboot and they basically like reset the universe, right? <laughs> so that they could do yeah. what, mm-hmm. so they could do what they wanted with it. Um, and for me, as just a fan of like cool stories, I was, I thought, great, <laughs> this is a cool story. And they told it and I like these characters and everything worked out. Uh, my understanding was that sort of Star Trek purists were not, uh, super excited about their universe being reset um, because they really liked that and they were invested in everything that had gone on before then. And to say none of that matters anymore, we're just going to go tell our own stories uh, was really frustrating to them. Is that, is that a a fair uh, analysis? So I've been thinking a lot about my reaction to last Jedi and why I was so, so, so frustrated with it. And, um, I think there are maybe a a number of reasons, but I think one of the big ones is closely related to this conversation that we're having. And it is that um, a couple of years ago, a few years ago now, um, Disney bought Lucasfilm and they bought all the rights to Star Wars. And they said, we're going to reset the whole canon and we're going to, we're just going to re we're going to do this. We're going to do it right now. And all this stuff. We should explain because, because, Previous to that, Lucasfilm had given rights to various uh-huh. authors to write various sure. stories there were in the expanded dozens universe. Dozens of books and hundreds I'd say, of I'd thousands say, I'd say. Of, of comic book stories sure. that were all yeah. somehow supposed to be there, the canon. But I wasn't familiar with any of that thousands stuff. of stories. I wasn't familiar with any of the stuff. I didn't read any EU stuff. I, met, I read maybe a, a novel and a half or something of the EU. And so uh, as I thought EU man, stands here. for expanded universe for anyone who is unfamiliar. And that is all that non-film Star Wars material. Yeah. I mean, I remember being in junior high and somebody telling me, yeah, you know, that Luke Skywalker turns to the dark side. Right. And I was like, what? He turns to the dark side. Yeah. It's in a novel. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. There's more of this stuff. Like I've got to, uh, and, but there was just so much and I had no real entry point. And so I never really engaged with it. And when I, when I found out like here, they're going to reset the whole thing. They're going to make all the EU stuff. They're going to call it legends now. And maybe they'll pull from it, uh, things that they think are interesting, but theoretically you could, you could get the whole star Wars story now, if you just start reading 
and there there's comics and there's novels and everything's tied together and and like each of these novels sort of fills a hole so i was like i went all in on this and so i'm reading comics and i started reading all these novels and i'm like did you know did you know that luke skywalker had a secret mission right after the death star and he went off and he, with this girl and they had this thing and they kind of and and it's all about um there's a whole novel about how luke finally learned how to like move a noodle across a table using the force i mean it took him forever he it, it, it was like the hardest thing he'd ever done in his life. And he needed this this uh, young lady that was his friend to kind of give him the encouragement that he needed to be able to move a noodle across the table. And in the meantime, they had this thing. So so there's uh, there's that story. And then there's um, uh, I mean, there's, there are lots of these stories that I've read now about Star Wars. And then the films come along and Last Jedi just completely ignores the fact that any of that stuff exists. And I'm like, why? Why would you do that? Why? Do, why would you do that to me? Why would See, you? I'm curious because I know Pablo Hidalgo, who is in charge of the canon. He's on Twitter, he, he is defending guy. that this is 100 in line with everything. It, I mean, like for example, um, there's no explanation, and I, I guess the explanation is there is no explanation. But why is Luke, who theoretically is chosen? This is spoilers. <laughs> just we're just going to throw out okay. spoilers, just in case. Um. Like, practically, I mean, he's an infant in the Force. He, he can't do anything for a very long time. It takes a ton of practice and a ton of work. Uh, and then Ray can do basically everything immediately. And there's there's never any explanation given for it. The explanation is there is no explanation. Um, when they've already, in the canon, gone to great lengths to explain stuff right that the skywalkers are special and that the, the the force is super strong with them because of whatever midichlorians maybe you hate midichlorians but like they're there they're in this they're in the thing you can't just ignore that they exist and well I think some people is, have an argument about that <laughs> that's so, fan fiction to andrew <laughs> so i don't know if that is fan fiction <laughs> i think i think the thing maybe this is totally dumb and i just was having a bad day but in the novel lords of the sith uh there is a moment where darth vader and Emperor Palpatine are like their backs against the wall and the rebels have them cornered, like literally their backs against the wall. And they're in, they're in TIE fighters and they're in X-wings and they're just blasting the heck out of, out of Vader and Palpatine. And they stand there with their lightsabers and deflect everything. I mean, it's, it's like this amazing show of the force and, um, it's 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 crazy and uh and it's pretty cool and they're showing like this is how powerful vader is that he can actually do this thing and so in last jedi when luke's standing there and the and the imperial walkers are blasting him i'm thinking in my mind i have this image of like yes you can do that with the force because i've seen it happen before and then it turns out that it's like this completely different thing <laughs> where it was like, oh man, you guys are killing me. There's no, there's no consistency. I'm convinced that there's no consistency between the novels and the films. Yeah, they've never introduced new force stuff, which is fine. Like, go <laughs> ahead and do that, but don't tell us that the novels are somehow connected when, in reality, they are meaningless. And I mean, they just, it's just more EU stuff. It's just they, they, they're doing whatever they want. They're playing totally fast and loose, and it makes me, it infuriates me because I'm a total fanboy. <laughs> <laughs> and it's fine. Like, I mean, it's their story. They're not my characters. I, I don't, uh, you know, I, I don't even write fanfic about them. I just like, I just like <laughs> stories. 
But I think it's really interesting um, how when they do it with Star Trek, which I'm not emotionally invested in at all, I'm like, yeah, sure, whatever. It's just cool. Like, get over it, you all you weird weirdo <laughs> Trekkies. Like, it's just not that big a deal. It's just stories. They're all fake anyway. And here I am, <laughs> like, watching Last Jedi and, like, I'm about having an aneurysm because I'm so frustrated about like minutia in these novels that nobody's read except for me and like two other people probably. And I'm like, I, no, I think don't you more than more than two, Todd. I know more than <laughs> I think you're underselling the influence of Star Wars merchandise. <laughs> but I, I anyway, I just um, think it's an interesting uh, phenomenon. Yeah, yeah. So Todd, you. Are, I know have engaged with Full Metal Alchemist. Yes, I haven't finished the whole series. Um, Okay, but you you watched the anime Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood, right? I watched or most of uh, probably half of it. Okay, so like like a ways back, like fifteen years ago, the manga for Full Metal Alchemist was being produced, and they started making an anime, mm. and they got to a point where they caught up, and this is typically where they would have put in a, a filler arc uh-huh. or whatever. You know, it, that's the pattern, and. They all had like there was a big discussion that went on between the the studio producing the anime and the manga creator and and everyone's talking together about this and they come to the conclusion like no we don't want to do filler because this is a special story that we it's it's kind of a limited story whereas a lot of uh, manga go on for you know hundreds of of volumes and and you know over a thousand chapters and and Full Metal Alchemist is a fairly limited it's twenty seven volumes it's you know significantly shorter and with the anime they're you know they reach a point where they're caught up and they well we caught up we're going to stop right now what do we do because we don't want to do filler because we want to just kind of stay true to the essence of the story and we don't want it to be 600 episodes which is like that's how many episodes one piece has you know it's got over 600 episodes of of 22 minute you know television and they say like we don't want to do that this is going to be relatively limited and they came to the conclusion, the, the creator said, the, the manga creator said, okay, well, you guys just go on and, and you do your thing and I'm going to do my thing mm-hmm. and like do whatever you think works. And so all of a sudden they switched from an adaptation to creating like two thirds of this series. Okay. And that was the original Full Metal Alchemist anime. And that's why there's two and versions then, on Netflix. Yeah. And then about 10 years after that and, and, and after that ended, they, they made a film. Um, to close it up. And then like 10 years later, the, the, the manga finishes and anime producers say, Hey, can we do it again <laughs> and do the whole thing this time? And they literally do it again. Um, they tweak some stuff. So, so like the first 20 episodes in the original anime only take up about 10 in the new mm-hmm. one. So they abbreviate some of that early stuff and then they're just super faithful to the end of the series. And so if you like Fullmetal Alchemist and I started, I I got into it by watching that anime and then I started reading after I finished the entire anime and the movie, like I own most of this. I, and then I read the manga and I bought all of those and then I've watched Brotherhood, Fullmetal Alchemist Brotherhood, which is the more faithful, complete adaptation of the manga series. And it's really hard for me to even think about going back and watching the old series hmm. because I know it, it diverges from, you know, the, the creator's final vision. Full metal. Yeah. The creator's the ur text. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, like the, the creator's final vision isn't represented by that. 
but it's still the thing that introduced me to it. So I have a really complicated relationship with all of this. Ah. And this is because I don't even know reading any of the full metal alchemist, uh, fan fiction. Yeah. Is, I am sure all over, uh, fanfic.net. Well, and like I, I choose, there's a couple of novels that are sort of like the, the a chronological movies that I talked about with anime series. And like, I haven't read those because they're just these kind of a chronological novels set in the world. And like, well, it's got the characters, but it doesn't matter to the story. But then I kind of wonder, like, I wonder if there's chapters in like the story as I think of it, like the full start to finish story. It's like, I bet there's chapters that could be removed. And then someone could read it and be like, well, I don't want that chapter. It's not part of the story as I know it. So like, I don't know what to think about Full Metal Alchemist sometimes because I want to love what the creator created. The original concept generator, you know, made their final series the way they wanted to. And I do like both of the anime, but it's hard for me to go back to the first one because I know it's like, well, then it just diverges and it's a, it's a different thing. And I don't even know anything about the people that finished that off. Like who created that story? <laughs> and what right did they have uh, to do this? <laughs> well, monetary contractual. Well, right. I know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like they were, they were fully given permission. And, and as far as I'm concerned, that was the first version of it. It was the first one to like, it finished before the manga finished. So if you're just going by like, which one can I consume in full first? It's that one by like 10 years. But at the same time, I'm like, but it's not, I guess it's not right. Cause it's not from the creator's own mind. And I don't know how to reconcile that. And I bet it would be even more difficult with a lot of American television. Um, because I'm like, that doesn't have a unified creator voice. Yeah. There um, are 40,000 uh, entries in fanfiction.net on, um, Mm-hmm. I'm Full Metal Alchemist, just in case. And there's a whole world waiting for you. Right? So much. <laughs> I've never read nor seen any Full Metal Alchemist. I'm going to go out on a limb and guess I will in the course of this podcast, based on what Andrew just revealed. It's, yes. It's tough. It's <laughs> tough because it it works really well as a 27 volume series. It is really hard to pick out separate sections. It's like, well, this is a good representation of the entire thing because it's it's just one single epic, um, one single story. And if you try to take chunks out of it, it doesn't, it doesn't have the same impact. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know what to, I mean, the, the, the difference between that, what you're describing in fan fiction is that all that is fully licensed. Right. And yeah. yeah, it's, it's really similar to the game of Thrones situation, right? Um, Which where the, the series, the, the television series caught up and then they just said, it's like, okay, you make your thing. The books are going to come out when they come out. Yeah. And it matters. I mean, I, th- or, I think that that, that that difference, while in the minds of some is like, you know, what could possibly be the difference? It matters. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, it's not uh, trivial. The difference between like sanctioned, licensed stuff and people doing their own thing. Um, even if the sanctioned, licensed stuff you feel like is not doing service to the you know the heart of the story or the true thing or whatever it's like it's not yours and that's what i'm like with star wars right now i'm having to like go through this this like period of grieving where i'm like it's not mine you know <laughs> it's not my story and as long as the story was serving me in every way that i wanted it to i was like yes this is the greatest thing ever and then as soon as it diverged i was like wait it's not mine <laughs> They're going to do what they want with it and they have every right to do whatever they want with it. And like, I can go along for the ride or not, but me being angry about it and like spouting off on the internet is not going to change anything. They're going to just tell their story that they have every right to tell. And 
you know, if I'm so mad about it, then maybe I should go write my own story. That's, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. It's, it's a, I think it's a fascinating thing and fascinating because it touches us emotionally in such intense ways. Yeah. And, and I think even, I mean, we, we mentioned that we did a whole episode where it was like loose adaptations uh, was our pitch, which was a real fun yeah. episode. And, and it was basically a fan fiction, like not fully fleshed out, not written to the level of like something that could appear on a website, like fanfiction.net. Cause this was just us doing two or three paragraph uh, pitches that sometimes amounted to just yeah, concept. Uh, Huck and Jim in space. And that's all I had. Um, <laughs> and uh, you know, versus a lot of these, like the, the, they're taking characters that exist in fully fleshed out worlds and they use that setting, but then, tell divergent stories uh but they are writing you know stories with all the beats that you expect to find if you're reading a short story or in some of these cases even a novel uh you know they they are doing all the mapping out they're they're doing the story structure they're writing um at times i'm sure what could be a professional level um if it wasn't something that, that was already copyrighted and owned by someone else uh in there I, I wanna... and it, but if they're finding you know if they're finding enjoyment uh in getting a creative release that way and uh the copyright owner is essentially said fine i'm gonna look the other way on this which many have um I, I there was in the 80s i think it was lucasfilm set a letter out to a lot of star wars fanzines that, that were doing fan fiction and said we know you're doing this just keep it clean and we won't care <laughs> like don't don't you know don't do the uh the erotic fan fiction which is its own different subset of, of fan fiction and lucasfilm said we're just keep doing what you're doing. Just keep it clean. Uh, then I, I, there's nothing wrong, <laughs> you know, with, with that, when you've got some sort of, uh, you know, allowance uh, and you're operating within those parameters and it's, you're finding creative outlet and people are enjoyed, enjoyed reading it and getting their own pleasure from it. I, I think it's a valid form of uh, creative expression. Sure. Yeah. I, I want to describe, like a specific example of kind of a big fan fiction um, just so our listeners, because we haven't dealt with a lot of concrete examples where we were describing, you know, what's going on in these stories. Uh, I had a roommate who told me about Harry Potter and the methods of rationality, <laughs> which is a Harry Potter story told from basically it's like, I want this to be basic Harry Potter, except instead of marrying Vernon Dursley and Petunia ditched that guy because he's the worst and married a college professor. (laughs) (laughs) And so when Harry like went to that family, he was treated kind of well and he got like a decent human education before becoming a wizard. And so when he went to school, he just one, he went to Ravenclaw because it's the best house. Um, Agreed. No, no further comment (laughs) on that. um, He was just looking at everything from like these rational logical steps that he had learned from this college professor father figure that he had had instead of Vernon Dursley, who had just, you know, treated him so awfully. And so he gets to school and I think, I think he like uses a pen instead of a quill. Um, He's asking all these questions like, why, like, why are we writing on scrolls? What's going on guys? (laughs) And, and then he's like trying to, he's like rationalizing how magic works early on. And so he's saying, you know, within the first year, it's like, well, there's no reason why we have to say these spells out loud. And he figures out that they can cast them silently, which in the books, they don't talk about until like the, the fifth or sixth book. And he starts, you know, he, he starts just rationally working through the logic of magic and the magic world and the school and 
you know, it, it, the whole thing is, is just based on the idea. It's like, well, what if, what if Harry's dad was different or Harry's father figure was different? Um, you know, if Ampetunia married someone else, what happens? And, you know, he had a good family upbringing. He didn't have, I, I, you know, I think he probably had a different set of friends at school. Um, as, as a result of all this, um, he's like comfortable going home at the end of the year instead of just like dreading it constantly. Um, he doesn't have to form the same relationship with Sirius Black. I, you know, I don't know the depths of this. I haven't read it, but I had a roommate tell me about it. And I was really interested in this idea that it's like, okay, we'll take Harry Potter and just change this one thing. And then let's talk about it. <laughs> um, I, I know we're getting towards the end. Have you guys read the uh, AI produced Harry Potter fan fiction? Yes, no. it is so excellent. So a, a company used um, essentially predictive text to write a new Harry Potter chapter. They they do this with yeah. lots of things. Or I think they, I recently they, saw they, they did um, Star Wars: The Last Jedi uh, reviews based on predictive text. Yes, uh, well, and and they, I, my understanding is they input like lots of J.K. Rowling's writing and then use predictive text to see what comes next. Uh, and I just want to read part of this computer-produced <laughs> fan fiction, which is delightful for Harry Potter. It was the chapter was called "The Handsome One." I'll, I'll read the first <laughs> couple of paragraphs. The castle grounds snarled with a wave of magically magnified wind. The sky outside was a great black ceiling, which was full of blood. The only sounds drifting from Hagrid's hut were the disdainful shrieks of his own furniture. Magic. (laughs) It was something that Harry Potter thought was very good. Leathery sheets of rain lashed at Harry's ghost as he walked across the grounds toward the castle. Ron was standing there and doing a kind of frenzied tap dance. He saw Harry and immediately began to eat Hermione's family. (laughs) (laughs) This is my favorite sentence. Ron's Ron shirt was just as bad as Ron himself. (laughs) So uh, that sentence is so good. I just want to end, you know, uh, with an example of some computer produced fan fiction and just know there's there's better stuff in actual fan fiction community. Oh, isn't there something, isn't there a part somewhere like, oh boy, the dark arts better be scared. <laughs> like the last line in it. Let's see here. Uh, I'm Harry Potter, Harry began yelling. The dark, art, dark arts better be worried. Oh boy. <laughs> oh wait, the floor of the castle seemed like a large pile of magic. <laughs> Guess the word magic gets used a lot. Yeah. All right. Any uh, final thoughts on fan fiction, guys? I was just looking at this, um, the website of Eliezer S. Yudkowsky, who is the guy that wrote um, Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality. And I mean, I was just, um, just a thought about this idea that, well, you know, they're not making any money off of it. And so it's fine, but um, you can certainly make notoriety off of fanfic, uh, which can yeah. Which can be almost as which, good. Which can well, certainly which can turn into money, right? Like this guy is famous uh, because he's yeah. a super genius and he's a research fellow at the Machine Instit- Intelligence Research Institute. But the only reason I'm looking at his website right now is because he wrote the Harry Potter thing. And uh, and I imagine that he gets a lot of, um, you know, views on his website because well, of the of same clicks thing. Out yeah. of that. Uh, so mm-hmm. it's interesting. I mean, there's like... A, pretty legit looking website about the 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 story and so i think it's not as simple as just saying well you know we don't make any money off of it so it's totally fine but jk rowling's okay with it so am i yes i mean i'm okay with uh, his story 
And I think it's just, uh, I, I don't know that we'll engage with fan fiction terribly often on protagonist podcasts, but I think it was fun to take an episode and kind of yeah. explore this other realm of creative production that, you know, I mean, we, we always are talking about TV and uh, novels and comic books and uh, film and sometimes a few other things like uh, theater <laughs> sneaks in uh, or a radio play. But it, it, this is another area that has a huge following. <laughs> I mean, fanfiction.net is huge. It says, um, I, I was just glancing at the numbers. Uh, what do you, what would you guess is the most popular uh, property for fanfiction stories on fanfiction.net? Doctor Who. No, that isn't the top That's 10. That's a good guess. It's not Harry Potter? Okay, so I, it I, is I, is in the top 10? Yeah. It is Harry, Harry Potter? Potter, and it says, uh, I don't know, this is as of November 9th, 2017, there are 777,000 Harry Potter stories on fanfiction.net. And who That's knows amazing. how long each of those is. Yeah, you couldn't, it would be impossible to consume all the fan fiction uh, on Harry Potter that's on that one website, which is, uh, it seems to be the largest fan fiction website. But you know, there are hundreds of thousands of other Harry Potter fan fiction stories that are floating out there at different places on the internet too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I, you know what? Maybe some of these, like like Todd said, this can be good practice. Maybe some of these uh, are young writers that are, you know, cutting their teeth on uh, writing short stories using this established property, and some of them are going to become uh, authors in their own right. I'm sure that they. I'm sure that I they hope do. so. Oh yeah, I, I have no doubt that they do. Because, 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 guys, if you're spending this much time on it, you should be getting paid for it. <laughs> there's, there's that argument. Make, make, make that money. Yeah. <laughs> I know that we have listeners that love uh, fan fiction, and I hope that we've done some kind of justice to it. I think, I think it's a fascinating thing. Um, and, uh, but I mean, it's, I don't even know what to say. <laughs> I mean, I mean, if, if you're a listener and you are more familiar than with fan fiction, I mean, it's not hard to be more familiar no, with it than not. we are, but if, if, if you want to get on Facebook and, and give us a, well, actually, please do. Yeah, we will not be offended at any corrections that we receive yeah. on this. <laughs> Okay, that wraps up this episode. Thanks for joining us. For show notes and links to all of the other great Dueling Genre shows, go to DuelingGenre.com. Also, please subscribe to the Protagonist Podcast in your podcast app of choice, and please leave us a review. It really helps us out. If you enjoyed this episode, you may want to check out uh, our previous episodes when we've discussed um, elevator pitches and done our own sort of mini, really mini fanfics. Uh, You can suggest stories or characters for us to discuss or give us any comments or corrections. I'm sure there are plenty from this episode by emailing feedback at protagonistpodcast.com. We're also on Twitter, Protagonist Pod, Todd K. Mack, and Jay Dorowski, and producer Andrew is at DizMinute. And our Facebook fan page is facebook.com slash protagonist podcast. We have great conversations there with our listeners and would love for you to say hello anytime. If you'd like to support the show financially, you can buy a topic for us to discuss or show your appreciation with a monetary donation by going to patreon.com slash protagonist. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back again next week to discuss another great character in a great story. So long.
All right. Well, I think that is going to wrap up this episode. Uh, thank you for listening. And uh, thank you, uh, Producer Andrew, for jumping in and helping us some uh, with some of the, your uh, your topics there at the end. I think that was helpful to, uh, to help us wrap our minds around some of this, uh, the, the gray areas that exist when we're talking about these uh, copyrighted properties. Uh, thank you again for joining us, listeners. For show notes and links to all the other great Dueling Genre shows, go to DuelingGenre.com. Also, please subscribe to the protagonist podcast in your podcast app of choice and please leave us a review that really helps us out if you enjoyed this episode oh i have no recommendations based on this one <laughs> wait <laughs> uh i don't know what number I, I guess our elevator pitch episodes would be the only thing that might work yeah and there's a, there's a number of them our halloween let's see well i'm gonna go try and get numbers real quick i gotta say it like talking about fan fiction at least this time, like gives me a good feeling. Yeah. Like it's like, I'm glad I, I hey, didn't want us to fiction feel, matter. I never wanted to feel like we were trashing fan fiction writers or fan fiction readers. <laughs> no, but, ov- but overall, I'm like fiction matters and people care yeah. and people caring is a good. I agree. Thing. Yeah. Um, all right, let's see here. Come on, Google doc. You're welcome, Andrew, to just delete my last, um, my last truncated thought at the end there. <laughs> <laughs> it sounded like you were about to say derivative. It was the one that I, was like, I, I, I don't even know. No, I, I just, I, I think it's, I think it's amazing. It's complicated. It's, um, it's like beautiful and beautifully <laughs> strange, and yeah. I mean, it's awesome. Um, I totally understand the the arguments against it, but at the same time, like you can't deny its existence or the power that it has for people, and I think that's pretty cool. I mean, this didn't even really touch on like the sociology of fan fiction yeah. community. I mean, that that would be a whole separate thing. Did you fucking get those numbers yet? Joseph, are you there? All right. <laughs> All right. Oh, all right. My, I'm getting a spinning pinwheel. Todd, can hurry. you finish it? How you do the outro, Todd? Because I can't get back to my tab. <laughs> Oh, okay. Um, uh, I got it. Okay, that wraps up this episode. Thanks for joining us. For show notes and links to all of our other... Uh, <clears throat> Which, uh, do you want me to do the entire intro or do you want to like do the hi? Where... <laughs> I just want you to start talking for the... And then you, you just go for the next hour, 15 minutes. <laughs> all right, well, I'll say, uh-huh. Well, yeah, you're you're carrying the quick cast. <laughs>